are working our way through this letter that Paul has written to a community of Christian believers in Philippi. That's why it's called the letter of Philippians. And he's writing to encourage them in their faith. And the irony of this is it's kind of humorous. For Paul was formerly known, he was formerly, formerly revered and also feared, depending on what side of the fence you sat, for his persecution of the Christian community. A community that emerged out of the, the shared and spoken eyewitness of the accounts of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. A, a, a witnessing a news that became known as the gospel, the good news about Jesus. And in a rather kind of unexplainable turn of events, apart from it actually happened, Paul went from a gospel persecutor to a gospel proclaimer. After he had a, a first-hand living encounter with the risen Lord Jesus, he's on his way to Damascus uh, to round up and to eliminate the gospel community there. And, and Jesus actually turns up and shows up and, and, and has a conversation with him. You can read about that in, in Acts 9 and Paul backs over it again in Acts 28. And from that moment on, as we read about the life of Paul, we read about a man whose life is not enraged anymore, it's not offended uh, by the message of the gospel, but rather we find a man whose greatest source of life, whose, whose greatest source of comfort is, is living out the relational realities of the grace and the peace that this gospel message has brought into his life between him and God, between him and uh, his, his fellow Jews, his fellow neighbours. Finds that the gospel produces in him this unshakable joy in his heart, even when it's impossible to be happy. Like it's hard work being happy when you're in prison chained to a Roman guard. Now Paul is there, finds himself jailed, finds himself in the same situation that he was previously putting Christians in jail, facing death for proclaiming the gospel. And it's there that he's writing this letter to the Philippians because they have been partners and partakers shared in the journey of sharing this gospel. And Paul is writing to encourage them to continue in their, in their, in their community partnership for the gospel and all, that, and all their relationships that are shaped by that gospel. It's the gospel that gets Paul out of bed. It's what shapes his life. So as people uh, watch on, as people observe the life of this great apostle, whether it's in hardship or whether it's in plenty, whether it's in jail or whether it's kicking back at Lydia's house, which in a bit of foxtail or whatever they did back then, they can see in Paul uh, the gospel is this living reality at work in his life that allows him to be this unconquerable, unshakable servant of Jesus. For Paul to live is Christ. But it's also what shapes Paul's understanding of death, this imminent threat over his life. The gospel promises are that death has lost its sting because the life that we have in Christ does not end at death. It survives the grave. And in fact, it, it, it is unbound from the effects of sin that used to limit and, 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 and cause dysfunction in life. So Paul can say to die is gain. To die is to know a greater experience of what I already encounter in this life in Christ. So central to the Christian joy and life is the gospel that in this short letter, 
Paul mentions it nine times. Paul wants the Philippians to have the same unconquerable experience, the same unshakable joy, the same lived-out encounter of grace, the same witness of undeniable peace, non-anxious peace. So he writes to them, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and I see you or I'm absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. But before we kind of dive into uh, what Paul's written here, perhaps we better define what is this gospel. What is this gospel that Paul mentions nine times? This gospel, I've referenced it nine times already, gospel, gospel, and we assume we know what it is. What is the gospel that transformed Paul's life, that transforms you and I, that our lives must be lived in a worthy manner of? Well, Paul, at the end of his first letter to the Corinthians, gives us this succinct description of what the gospel is. He writes there in 1 Corinthians 15, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, and on which I have taken, on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, the gospel is something that is not internally made up. It's received. It's news. I pass on to you as a first importance that Christ died for your sins, not in some random manner, but according to scripture. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to scripture, according to God's plan, his will. Well, there are a few things that we can glean from this. The first one, as I hinted, is that the gospel is news. It's not advice. The gospel is not primarily a way of life. It's not something we do. But news of something that has been done for us and something that we must respond to. Hence, the live a life worthy of the gospel. We are to live in response to the content of the news as it finds a place in our lives. The gospel is not telling us do better in this or that. Follow this set of standards. The gospel is news about what Jesus Christ has done already for you on your behalf. It is news of first importance, but it is news that changes things, that changes us. The gospel is news announcing that we have been saved or rescued from our sins. The gospel has content, and that content relates to the human condition of sin, our, our position and our relationship with God. A sin is not merely certain unethical activities. It's not like, you know, punching your sister in the face because she stole your bike or stealing a Mars bar, all those kind of things. A sin is a position of the heart toward God that allows for or even celebrates choices and activities that de-God God, that sow chaos and destruction into God's good design for life and human flourishing. Sin leads to the great human dilemma, the wrath of God, because sin positions us under God's wrath and cuts us off from eternal intimacy that we were made for. Sin alienates us from God's wisdom and love and authority 
as our creator. So in that experience, we are, we are psychologically alienated within ourselves. We, we, we have an anxiousness. There's no confidence in our lives. And we are socially alienated from each other. That's the results of sin. Relational disorder and dysfunction. We went from viewing God as a friend to receive life from. And it's been replaced by viewing God as an enemy to hide from. Trust has been replaced with fear. Love replaced with indifference. Intimacy with God replaced with separation. And the same is true of the relational, the social relational chaos that sin has brought into the human condition. Sin introduces fences and sexual abuse and greed and malice and nurtured bitterness and war. Furthermore, because we are alienated from God, we are also physically alienated from, from nature itself. We encounter sickness and sorrow, physical um, degeneration, pain and toil and death. All things decay. All of human problems ultimately are symptoms and effects of our lives that are lived out of our rejection of God and the separation from God that that has caused. And we need, our greatest need is to be made right with God, that we can once again live as we were created to live. In the gospel, we hear the news of how God has rescued and reclaimed creation. The gospel is news about what has been done by Jesus to put right our relationship with God. The gospel is news that can change our standing and our relationship with God. And the gospel has achieved this through the sinless life and substitutionary death of Jesus. Jesus represents humanity with his perfect life. That's what he's come to do. A life of righteousness that we could never live. And as our representative, he exchanges his righteousness for our sin at the cross where Jesus receives the wrath of God in our place so that we might receive the blessing of God as evidenced in the resurrection of Jesus. It's our faith, it's our belief, it's our trust in this news that is the positional shift of our hearts. We move from standing over and apart from God to standing in Christ. Our hearts warmed by the Holy Spirit agree that we need to be represented by Jesus before God as our Savior and our Redeemer. The gospel is good news, that God has accomplished our salvation for us through Jesus in order to bring us into right relationship with him and eventually to destroy all the results of sin in the world. To put it more succinctly, as J.R. Packer does, he summarizes the gospel as this, God saves sinners. The gospel is not about something we do, but about something that has been done for us. And yet, the gospel results in a new way of life. And so Paul writes, live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Belief in the gospel must lead to a life worthy of changed relationships with God that unites us in Jesus and himself, that unites us in different and new relationships with each other. For Paul, this is a non-negotiable. The first word of this sentence only sets the context. 
This word only means exclusivity, a singular heart approach. There is no other manner in which the Christian should live than one that honours the gospel and thus distinguishes our lives in the marketplace, makes our lives stand out. We are committed only to this message and its implications. They must model the message they have embraced in their lives. They have become citizens of a new community of people in the gospel and, and it's making them into new citizens by their lives being surrendered to Jesus. Now they should live as he lived. They should copy Jesus' manier, manner of life, which is captured when Paul says, uh, there he says, let your manner of life or conduct yourselves, is the NIV translation, which I think is a better translation. But the phrase, let your or conduct yourselves, is a word that, that, that comes from its root meaning there. It means to live as citizens of a country in a law-abiding manner, regardless of where you find yourself. And Paul is making a play on the dual citizenship here. We saw in week one, to be a citizen of Philippi was to have the same rights and the same privileges and the same expectations on your life as a citizen of Rome. Even though you live in 1,600 kilometres away, they were your rights and they were your expectations. They had been granted that status because they stood with Rome in the Battle of Philippi. Likewise, Paul picks up on this idea and applies it to the Philippian Christians. Because they have been found in Christ, and have stood in response to the gospel. They are citizens of heaven. They are now in a community of God, the kingdom of heaven. And even though they are not living in that realized kingdom yet, they are to live out its values as they live as a community of believers in Philippi. Same is true of us. We are to live out these values as we live as a community of people here in Chelsea or wherever we find ourselves. They had to be a community marked in practice and action by a particular grace, forgiveness and love that they receive from God in Jesus. And while they must never mistake or exchange what the gospel is, the gospel is news, with what the gospel does, it heals and it restores, the gospel leads us to lives of self-sacrifice in caring for the poor, in working for justice and peace actively in our culture. It leads us to lives of unconditional love and charity and generosity within this community of people here. Our lives are to be consistent with the gospel always. Whether Paul is present with them or not, regardless of who is watching, who is present or who is absent, regardless of whether you're here in church, regardless of whether you're at work, you're down the gym, you're at school, you, the Philippians, are always citizens of heaven and that reality shapes their conduct, not their environments that they move between. Besides, to be in Christ is to live your life always in the presence of God. You are never, ever living this life out without living it in the presence of God. Commentators, as you read through the commentaries, think as Paul, as Paul begins to think about this, he, his mind kind of casts itself to the Philippians church and the news that he's received from there. And perhaps they think what's on Paul's mind as he begins to, to think about unity in the gospel and as he writes is the news that there is division 
starting to emerge. Unresolved bitterness or anger between uh, two women of note down there in Philippi. I'm not even going to try and pronounce their names. You can see them in chapter 4 too. But there they are. And Paul knows that a church that can harbour division, that can, can have those kind of relationships going on, is not living worthy of the gospel. This is not the kind of news you would hope to hear from a gospel community shaped by the news of the gospel. Nothing is more unworthy of the gospel than people uh, that who it unites together in Christ acting like high school kids. Nothing distinguishes the church in exactly the opposite light than should emanate from this community shaped by the gospel an unresolved division, infighting, silent treatment, slandering, people talking in corners, this kind of thing. So Paul gives four markers of how the Philippians are to let their manner of life as citizens of heaven bear witness to the kind of contrasting society the gospel brings to life. They are to stand together. They are to strive together. They are to be sanctified together. And they are to suffer together. They are to stand firm in one spirit with one mind, Paul writes. The picture here that Paul has in mind is of a community that is anchored to the gospel, to the message about Jesus. That is its core reality, its core shared experience. The word mind here has the scope of information that transforms your emotions, uh, your motives. It's a word of shared common experience that we're all mindful of. It's not just individually accumulated knowledge, but it is community applied and effective news, the gospel. And they are not to shift from this. This is what is supposed to shape them. Standing firm in it, though, is not achieved by our own kind of white-knuckled determination, but in submission to the Holy Spirit, who unites us in the gospel and reminds us of how we became brothers and sisters in the first place. How is it that you all sit in this room together? None of you would probably normally naturally know each other apart from the fact that Jesus pushed you all together. We talk about it all the time. The gospel makes natural-born enemies, brothers and sisters in Christ. You didn't have to pass a test. You didn't have to make yourself worthy to be here by behavior modification. No, God has done it for you in Jesus. That should hold and unify you. This is not a community constrained by white-knuckled determination, but a community changed. Our, our fundamental orientation of life is changed by the lived-out experience of the gospel. The core reality in place, Paul says, evidence of gospel-given citizenship is the ability to strive together. The picture here is of athletes who give uh, maximum effort to overcome an opponent. However, the Philippians are to strive and give maximum effort side by side. Now, it hurts me to say this. It pains me a lot. But this is the exact imagery that the Collingwood theme song has in mind. Side by side we stick together. What to do to uphold the magpie name? Right out of the Bible. Christians are to strive together in a manner that upholds the gospel. 
that upholds the name and the character of Jesus. Even when the rest of the world is against you, even when it's costly, even when it's going to kind of be hard work, you know, you've got to go back in and you've said something dumb uh, to your wife, and Sandy's practiced in this, and, and you've got to be able to go back in there and say, I'm a, I'm a fool or whatever. It's the gospel that allows us to do that without crushing shame. Well, Philippi has never been a place that welcomes the gospel. Paul and Silas were, were beaten there and they were thrown in jail uh, for this message of Jesus. And that culture continues. It's opposed to the exclusive message of salvation in Jesus. The, the, the gospel runs against the, plural, the pluralism uh, and, and the objection to objective truth that exists in Rome. But the Philippians are to pour their energy, their collective pa- passion into living out and bearing witness to the gospel. They are to strive together in a public display of faith, in an environment that looks for every opportunity to discredit it, in an environment that takes every opportunity to, to wedge us apart. If the devil has one play, he's probably got a couple, but it's to, it's to break open Christian unity, to get us at war with each other. Striving looks like uncommon care of each other. Tell me something. Where else are you going to be encouraged in your faith? This is just a thought bubble. Like, are you going to get that anywhere else but here? This should be the place where we're building each other up, where we're encouraging each other. You, you can't, if you think you can live a Christian life and never gather here and, 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 and encourage each other, you're out of your mind. You will last five minutes. And then you'll be wondering what it's all about. You'll be wondering why you've got no confidence and no faith. Striving looks like uncommon care of each other. It looks like relationships that seek to build each other up rather than diminish. Striving as a gospel community is a selflessness. Serving because we have first been served. It is radical generosity, uh, inconveniently relinquishing time and resources. We saw that yesterday. Just people in here giving time and energy so that, that we can have programs that run and, and partner with you in, in, in sharing the story of the gospel with our children. It's hospitality and fervent prayer for each other. It's not harboring bitterness but seeks forgiveness. A Christian community never leaves someone behind and it never tires of the mindset of forgiveness. It always moves to repair relationships. And it does this because of its own experienced encounter of what God has done for us, never tiring in his pursuit to reconcile relationships with us, initiating forgiveness that made this community possible. We are to strive side by side and live out our faith in the gospel. And there is a witness to that. There is a credibility. There's also a confidence that comes from this. If you are consistent in your behavior, There's a credibility that comes if people see the transformed lives in this community in you. Do people notice the lifestyle of this community? Do they appreciate it even if they don't understand it? Clearly Paul says we're to be sanctified together. After laying out a picture of what gospel unity looks like, Paul says a life worthy of the gospel 
lived out in community in authentic ways is a life that is free of the fear of accusation. It's not free of accusation, but it's free of the, the anxiety and the fear that comes when you have accusations that come your way. There is a confidence that comes from seeing the gospel at work in your life, of allowing it to transform you. The gospel creates a thoroughly new dynamic of growth referred to uh, in Christian circles as sanctification. It is the process of letting the Holy Spirit replace your love of sin with a love for Jesus. And this sanctification is done best in community because where else are you, are you challenged relationally? Do you have to get this right? Where else uh, are relationships messy and together where you have to work out how to forgive each other, where we have to work out how to love each other? Community. Paul says it's an evidence of God's sanctifying work, deep heart transformation, the common mind of grace that gives you the conviction and motivation to live in a manner worthy of the gospel where adversity and opponents seek to, to break that open, seek to shift us, where, where they seek to question the legitimacy of our faith. And, and it can be a question internally within you. But as you see it at work amongst the community, you see that it's real, it's bearing witness and it's, and it's confirming it within you. Within the church at Philippi was not only this simmering division but also the intrusion of a false gospel that said you needed more than Jesus for salvation. You needed to maintain certain Jewish tra traditions in order to merit salvation. Paul's counsel is that they're radically different lives based on the, on, on the work, based on faith in Christ alone is evidence of their salvation. It's supernaturally achieved from God. It's not humanly achieved. So conversely, as that is evidence that there is salvation at work in you, it is evidence that there is destruction at work still in the lives of those who oppose it, who have a message that salvation is achieved through human efforts. We need to create a great community because that is, according to Jesus, and he talks about this in John 17, a crucial way to show the world that we are truly followers of Christ, that something has truly changed here amongst this community. In fact, it's only in community that we can actually fully know God, that, that relationships are, are, are fully known, that we can change deeply and bear witness to the grace of the gospel to create human flourishing. Finally, Paul says in verses 29 to 30 that the gospel unity grows out of shared suffering and struggling for Christ. Living a life worthy of, God, of the gospel will bring you into conflict with the world because of the contrasting and conflicting conviction of where salvation lies, of, of, of how to live our best lives. For a Christian community, their common experience of Jesus, his grace and peace leads to a life of sanctification, of dying to sin that stands at odds with a world that celebrates and creates ways to reject this message of the gospel. Paul knew what it was to encounter conflict. The Philippians knew what it was to encounter conflict. And we will know what it is to encounter conflict when our lives are lived in a manner worthy of the gospel. But God has given us us. We are to be an alternative community 
that our shared suffering and struggling, we might stand firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and bear witness to the relational unity and human flourishing that grows out of that gospel. We, we are to live out and experience and know the context of everything that Paul is writing about here. And to the degree that we do that is to the degree that we are confident in our own salvation because we live out the experience of it. And to the degree that we do that, our witness testifies of the work of Christ in our lives. Now, we're going to have to get to... Do you notice someone put a clock up the back? What's that about? We're going to have to get to the rest of chapter 2 uh, next week. I, I kind of start writing in winter. I get about 35, 30 minutes. I just stop. So chapter 2 next week. But listen to this. We've been gathering here for prayer Monday mornings about 6.30 and Monday night about 7.30. And one of the things that has merged out of that time um, was our place here at Freeway, our place in the marketplace. And what are we known for? This building is actually called the Chelsea Market Building. And within it are all manner of pursuits where people can seek to find meaning. Below us, we've got Alice Rebels. And, and it's made itself for a, uh, a name for itself in, a, in appealing to alternate lifestyles. And these kind of things are not connected, but that's what they do. So there's vegan kind of meals down there. And they, they're also uh, very uh, affirming and open to the LGBTQI plus community. So, so, so you can find a community and a place down there for that. And then you have the alcove, and it offers its own form of escapism in the world. And then out the front there, there's the beauty salon and it's offering self-esteem and whatever through cosmic, uh, cosmetic therapy. Well, there's the cosmic, cosmetic. And then on the other side of that wall, there's the gym and it's offering health and physical fitness as a life plan. And, and even Rob, just down there in the bed shop, is telling you that you, your life can be changed by his beds. But if all of them are appealing to some aspect of human need and longing, and then there's freeway, then there's us. What do people find when they come in here? What do people experience in encounter when they encounter this community? What are we known for? What are we standing in? What are we striving in? What is it that we are bringing to the marketplace? Paul says, let them encounter lives being lived out in ways that are worthy of the gospel, in ways that are worthy of the love and the forgiveness and the deep cost that God had for us as he brought us together. Let's pray. Loving God, we thank you again. We're constantly cha challenged by this letter to the Philippians. It's, 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 it's mining the, the depths of our hearts, it's confronting us with our own life and our practice and it's saying, is it congruent? Is it congruent with the gospel that we say we live our lives by, that we say has come and transformed our lives? Are our lives practices in alignment with that? It's a, it's a challenge for us here this morning and our prayer is that as we examine our own hearts and our own lives, if there's areas where we need to... Um, do work that we would know that, that it's kind of 
as they say, a safe space to do it because we have already been known to the very depths of ourselves and we've already been loved by you. And that gives us the confidence and the ability to move into real relationships with other people. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.